the uh, for the past 30 or so years, when the President of the United States gives an address in January, it's called the State of the Union, um, it's tradition now to begin with these words, the State of the Union is strong. Since 1982, this is what the... State of the Union address has begun with, um, all except for one year. Uh, one year, um, George H.W. Bush, he didn't say it. But now, at, at this point, when the presidents give the address, it's a formality. They say, the State of the Union is strong. And I've been thinking about what I could say as the first words to the church in this new season for IGC. And I wish I could begin like the presidents of the United States in January. The state of the union is strong. I wish I could say the state of IGC is strong. But this is not true. The state of IGC is not strong. We have been pressed low. We are beset by weaknesses. IGC has been battered. This past season in the life of our church has been tough and difficult and frustrating and angering. So if you want the preacher to tell you today how great and awesome our church is, uh, you'll be disappointed. But the weaknesses of IGC is not the most important thing today. The most important thing for us today is that Jesus is alive. That Jesus is king. Jesus is the reason why our church exists. And Jesus is caring for us and he's protecting us. No matter what happens to this church, he will still be worthy of our worship. And I so appreciate the song that Nate led us in. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away. He gives and he takes away. Even so, blessed be the name of the Lord. God was good in giving us the past 12 years with a senior pastor and another pastor, another pastor, another pastor. And God was good in taking those pastors away. Four pastors that have left our church in the past 12 years. Even so, blessed be the name of the Lord. This is our first Sunday after the most challenging time of our 12 years of existence and things will continue to be challenging for a while. Many in our church are hurting, disappointed, angried, angry, worried. There are a lot of unknowns for our church in the coming weeks and months. In two weeks, we're going to have a congregational meeting and this is when you'll have a chance to hear from me, from the elders about the state of our church right now and where we are headed as a church, what the path forward is going to look like. We're also going to have office hours this Wednesday evening for you to hear from me and the elders and to ask any questions that you have. And uh, if this is um, something that is helpful for the church, we'll continue to do this so that we can have a direct line of communication. Uh, We had open open office hours this past uh, week, and I think it went well. There were some good questions asked. So things are hard for us, and they probably will be for a while. But Indelible Grace Church, we are still standing. God has been good and faithful to us over the years. He's good to us now. He will continue to be good to us. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to continue to preach the gospel. 
We're going to continue to meet here on Sundays. We're going to continue to weave and reweave the fabric of the church. The leaders will try their best to care for you by the grace of God. People are praying for us. People um, are sister churches, pastors from other churches um, in our presbytery. They're praying for us right now. And our presbytery, the subcommittee that's been involved in our situation for the past year, year and a half, um, they are providing a lot of support for us. And it's been so encouraging to hear from those of you who've told us that you're committed to the church. Um, no matter how difficult it's going to be, you're committed to the church. And this is super encouraging for those of you that have told us that you want to find new ways to serve the church. Um, later on during announcements, Tracy is going to uh, talk about some areas of ministry that we particularly need help in. Um, but the other thing we've heard is um, a, lot pe- a, lot, a lot of people are saying, um, we're in a wait-and-see mode right now. Before we can commit to anything, we want to shake, see how things are going to shake out in the coming weeks and months. And this is going to determine your level of engagement or disengagement with the church. And if this is you, I want to tell you that I understand I'm thankful that this time has made all of us be more thoughtful about why this church exists and why it's important to be a part of a healthy church, one that you want to worship in and one with a family that you want to get to know and to invest your lives with and into. And I hope that you'll listen and be prayerful as you hear more about the plans for IGC going forward in the coming weeks. So... For those of us who are saying, uh, let's, let's just wait and see, um, I get it. To you and to all of us, um, there's one thing I don't want us to wait and see on. Let's not wait and see what is most important. Before we look to the pastor or the elders and their plans, before we look to our ministry leaders Before we look to our presbytery, we look to one person. We look to one person. Do not wait for this. And who shall we look upon? The answer is the first word of today's passage, Isaiah 42. So I'm going to take us through the first nine verses of Isaiah chapter 42. This is in your bulletin. This is behind me. If you're watching us online, it's going to show up on your screen. Isaiah 42. And we're going to spend our time this morning in this passage. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will, grow, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to, the, to those who walk in it. I am the Lord I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. 
I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of God. So, the book of Isaiah, one of the major prophets in the Old Testament, this is the second most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament, after the book of Psalms. And the passage that we just read, Isaiah 42, this is known as one of the four servant songs in the book of Isaiah. This is a, a servant song is a passage that speaks of the Messiah that's to come for Israel. It's looking forward, and the words are meant to provide hope and comfort to the people of God. And we're going to be looking at this passage this week and next week and um, over the next uh, few weeks. Um, and we're looking at the images in this passage, particularly in verse in verses uh, three. In verse three, the image of this bruised reed and the image of this faintly burning wick. In the context of the situation that we find ourselves in as a church, so for the next uh, several weeks, we'll be focusing on these images, um, and I want us to think upon this image and consider what is it for us to be a church that is like this bruised reed? What is it? What does it mean for us to be a church that's like this smoldering wick that's about to be snuffed out? And the plan for me to, for the coming months is to do the, I'll do the bulk of the preaching. Um, we're going to have several guest preachers over the course of the rest of the year who will bring you the word, the word of God. And the reason why I want to focus on this passage, the reason why I want us to meditate, do an extended meditation on this passage, is because I want to give us room to breathe and for us to process the sadness and the hurt that we're collectively feeling as a church we're hurting and we're grieving in different ways. And the, the way to process that hurt is not to avoid or to, to suppress those emotions. And nor is it for us to wallow in them. I could talk about this for weeks and weeks and weeks. And that's not my plan. We, don't, we neither deny what we're feeling nor do we wallow in the feelings. But the way to process these emotions and feelings in a healthy manner is to go through them. It's to fully feel what we're feeling. We poke at the painful parts. We trust our intuition at times, and other times we doubt ourselves. We should sometimes. We ask uncomfortable questions. We ask other people to uh, poke around in our hearts with us. And we do this knowing that there is good at the end of the process. So, how things are now, the problems that we face as a church, they're not going to be resolved in a few weeks. And listening to a few sermons about our situation isn't going to be enough for us. But my hope is that these next few messages can play a part in helping our church heal uh, what we're experiencing, the, the emotions, um, the, the hopefulness, the sadness, these matter to God. And his word speaks to us in every situation. Isaiah 42 speaks to us today. And today we're going to focus on the first four, four verses of the passage. Um, 
I want to provide us with a little bit of context to help us understand what is being said to us as the readers of this passage. So, the book of Isaiah, it begins with the king, with Uzziah, who is the king of Israel. And for the majority of his rule, Uzziah was a good and faithful king who encouraged the Israelites to worship God. He arranged things, he structured things, so that the people of God could function as the people of God who look to the Lord. They look to Yahweh as their God. And during this time, they flourished, they were able to enjoy their freedoms, they were able to worship God. But King Uzziah, he died. And Israel was invaded down the road by the Babylonians. These are the enemies of the people of God. King Nebuchadnezzar, he was the Babylonian king. And all the prosperity that the Israelites enjoyed was taken away. They were thrown into exile. They were enslaved. And this wasn't just a temporary thing for the Israelites. The Israelites knew that once this began, that this would be for the rest of their lives. The exile, the Babylonian captivity, this would last 70 years, history tells us. And that meant for these Israelites that they were not going home. They knew that they would live the remainder of their lives under the rule of a cruel king. And as far as they knew, their children would live and die in captivity. This happened thousands of years ago. What if it happened to us today? Imagine that you were forced from your home by an invading army. You, along with all your friends and family, you are arrested. You're placed into a camp and forced to do hard labor. And all the plans you ever had for your life, all the hopes that you had for your children, they're wiped out. And there's no hope of rescue. How would you feel? You would feel absolute despair. Wouldn't you? This is what the Israelites in the book of Isaiah were feeling. We're in captivity. We're in exile. I see no light. There is no way out. No one's coming to get us. And this is the lot in my life for the rest of my life. And so the prophet Isaiah, he writes these words of God to the despairing people of God. There's hope in this passage. But to really get the weight of the hope, to really understand it, we need to look at the context. Chapter 41, if we go back one chapter, it gives us the background. So God is looking at the Gentile nations, the nations that are not the Israelites. And he points out to them how utterly helpless the idols that they have are. All the idols that that they, they built up, God says, look at them, look at them, look at them. And look at how weak they are. Look at how helpless they are. The Israelites, as they're entering captivity, they're faced with Canaanite idols and Mesopotamian idols, thousands of them. Um, the, the archaeologists say that there are some 3,000 idols that the Israelites were uh, confronted with in their day. And just like the surrounding nations, the people of God, they see the idols and they're tempted to also worship them instead of Yahweh, their God. And these idols, what do they do? They promise protection. They promise provision and fulfillment and salvation. And God says in chapter 41 of Isaiah, before our passage today, He says, look at them. Look at everything that you've put your trust in and look at how they have failed you. 
Look at them and see how worthless they are. And at the end of the chapter, God says to his people, he says, Look at the idols of the nations, and what are they? They are delusions. The implication is that you're delusional if you think that your idol can help you. You're delusional if you think that your idol can save you. You're delusional if you think that these idols can give you what you need. And this is not just a word to the Israelites. It's a word to us. What idols are we looking to in these days? Look at what's happening in our nation and in our world. Look at your problems because your problems will tell you what you really care about. What do you care about? Your finances maybe. Just this past week we were told that the inflation rate right now is the highest it's ever been in 40 years. The markets keep dropping. We don't know what the bottom is. Our nation is being torn apart by politics and the culture wars. COVID is still a thing. Wars abroad, threats of war elsewhere. And that's just what's happening outside our walls. What about in our communities and in our lives? The depression and anxiety, the relational tears that we experience, the unfulfilled dreams, the loneliness, the addictions, the boredom, or maybe even our church. What is, if you're a member of our church, what is your biggest fear for the church that you're a member of? What complaints do you have? What weaknesses and flaws are you tempted to critique and poke at? What are our biggest needs as a church? We have many. So then, what do we look to to alleviate our fears? What do you put your hope in to make you feel better? What do you look at and say, if I had that, then I'd be okay. If we had that in place, then we can rest easy. And how you answer these questions will tell you what your idols are. And God says, okay, you've got your idols. Now look at them. I want you to really look at them. They may provide temporary relief. They may make us feel better for a while. But take a good look at them and consider what they cost you. Take a good look and ask if they really will handle all your, all your problems for good. And God says, they're not what they seem. They are delusions. They don't provide what they promise. And so we get to chapter 42, today's passage. This passage has all of these idols in mind and they say, you've looked at them, you've experienced them and now turn around. Take your eyes off those idols and put your eyes on something else. And the first word of Isaiah 42, behold, behold, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. This is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the reason we exist. Behold Jesus. 
What does it mean to, to behold? It's to gaze intently upon. It's not just glancing and then turning around. It's not just looking. It's focusing your attention on an object. It's focusing your attention on a person. What is it that you behold? We all behold something, whether it be a person or a hobby or the market or your job, the leaders that you look up to. What do you pay attention to? It might be someone you love, a child or a lover. If, you, if you've ever uh, really been into someone, if you've really loved someone, you might look at them and study their face. Oh, I love your face. I love the folds around your eyes or the way that you smile or the way that your hair frames your face or I love the way that you move or the way that you play and you're enamored by this person. That's beholding. I think we know what it means to behold because we've all been captured by something or someone. And this is the word to us. Is there someone that you can direct that attention to? In, our, in this season, we need to be looking at Christ. We need to read about him. We need to hear about him. We need to think about who he is and what he's done. This is why we're here at church on Sundays. We sing songs about Jesus and we sing songs to Jesus. We hear his word. We pray in his name. We're around other people that can help us worship him. Behold, Indelible Grace Church. Some people have asked us how they can help as we basically were essentially restarting our church. And there are many ways you can help. They ask, like, how can we be a part of that? How can we help you? Uh, We have a lot of needs. We'll need people to step up and be more engaged. But if you really want our church to be a healthy church... If you really want Indelible Grace Church to be a place where people can be loved and be served well, then the most important thing that you can do is behold Jesus. It's not to volunteer for a certain ministry, although we want you to do that. The most important thing you can do is to behold Jesus. Jesus, intently gaze on Jesus. The best thing that you can do as a member of IGC is to worship Jesus or learn how to better worship Jesus. That means reading your Bible. It means praying. It means doing things and reading things and listening to things that focus your attention on Christ. Because our ministry and the culture of our church will reflect what we truly love. Not what we say that we value. Not what we say we should love. Let me say that again. The direction of our church is contingent upon what I love and what the elders love and what most importantly you as the members of the church love. This is what is going to determine where our church goes. What do you love? What do you love? Because that is what our ministry needs to spring from. Who do we behold? Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we all, this is everyone that follows Jesus, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We're not going to change overnight. We can worship our hearts out and pray our hearts out. And that will move us from one tiny degree of glory to another. It's going to be slow. But what if we all did that? What if we all had our eyes fixed on Christ always, every Sunday, instead of complaining about our problems, instead of complaining about what the leaders do or don't do, those critiques may be valid and you can share them with us. But what if, even more important than that, we were all in sync and we all looked to Jesus from one degree of glory to another, our church can become healthy again as we behold the glory of the Lord, as we learn to love Him, as we learn to treasure Jesus. Behold. And in the coming weeks, we'll talk more about what Jesus is to us and what He looks like. But just for the rest of our time, I want us to consider what Paul says and what, what uh, Isaiah says in these four verses. And I'm going to kind of skim through some of them because we will revisit them next week. But first off, what do we see about this figure? First, he is a servant. The person that Isaiah writes about in chapter 42 is a servant. And it helps us consider, it helps, it helps us to consider the context of this passage to understand the weight of it. So I gave it to you earlier. Specifically, specifically, God tells his people, uh, consider the futility of your idols. Chapter 41. The idols are the, of the people are the gods that they worship. And what do you do to gods? You serve them. You give to them. And you make promises to them. In order for them to give you what you want. In order for them to do for you what you want them to do. It's a transactional relationship. These are the gods of the nations. These are the idols that we serve here in Castro Valley in the Bay Area. Whatever it is that you care about the most, you are going to serve them whether or not you know it. Uh, The Nine Inch Nails have a song. Bow down before the one you serve. You will get what you deserve. You're going to get what you deserve. Bow down before the one you serve. You're going to get what you deserve. Because the God that you worship is going to give you something, whether it be good or bad. You will position your life and you will craft your budget and you will schedule your time in order to get from them what you want. And you become a servant of your idols. And how is Jesus described in our passage? A servant. Jesus is the one who serves his people. How about that? This is how he's different from the gods of the nations. Jesus is the one who positions his life for the good of his people. And this is the good news that we stake all our hope in. That Jesus came to his people not as a conquering king to defeat his enemies by brute force, but as a servant, lowly and humble. 
He came to subvert the power structures that we build our lives around. He comes to tend to our needs and change our hearts. What's the most difficult thing to change in the whole world? It's not laws or politics or physical structures or organizations. The most difficult thing in the world to change is the human heart. And that's what Jesus does for us. He defeats the sin in our lives by showing us that he's better so that we can delight in him rather than our sin. He serves us by showing us who God is. John chapter 1, Jesus exegetes the Father. And this servant most profoundly serves us by going to the cross. The gospel is this, that Jesus came for the sake of his people, knowing their sin, knowing that their sin deserved the wrath of the Father. We deserve hell and punishment for what we have done by rebelling against God. And Jesus, in his love, comes for his people. And he says, you deserve it, but you're not going to get it. Because I'm going to take your punishment upon me. And this is how I'm going to serve you. You will get my righteousness. And you will be saved. You will be saved. This is how our servant, Jesus, serves us. Second, he's a servant that's upheld by God. He's chosen by God and God delights in him. The servant is God's chosen means to make things right. Who's going to make things right? This is the justice that this passage talks about. And just and in just a moment, I will talk about this justice. Chosen by God is this servant, ultimately. God will use kings. He will use rulers and presidents. He will use pastors and elders. But as the Bible story tells us over and over again, they're going to fail you. There's one who is ultimately chosen by God, and that is the servant. And what does he do? I have, my, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. The servant has a spirit of God upon him. If you remember when the Holy Spirit came on Jesus upon his baptism, what does that mean? That the work that Jesus does is not limited by human weakness. It's not limited by the boundaries that we put around him or the limitations that we can imagine. When Jesus does the work that he was called to by the power of the Spirit, he does a spiritual work unseen by our eyes, more powerful than anything that we can dream up. And what does he do with that Spirit? He brings forth justice to the nations. The Hebrew word for justice in this passage is mishpat. Mishpat. And it's not just a uh, legal um, fixing of things. It's not just uh, maybe social justice as we understand it. The mishpat, this justice that God speaks of in this passage, is a justice that makes all things right. You may be familiar with this Hebrew concept of shalom. Shalom is when everything is as it should be. There's a peace. How does that peace come about? It's brought about by this mishpat justice in this passage. 
Jesus will bring forth justice to the nations. He will fix things. He will heal things. He will mend what is torn. And what is broken, he will look upon it and say, it's not going to remain broken. I'm going to fix that. Political structures and economic tools and relational strategies church growth strategies they have their place but Jesus succeeds all of these things far more than what they can do Jesus can do them as he brings about his justice and Jesus will again if we submit to him he will make things right in our church this is what he does And how does he go about it? Look at verses 2 and 3. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Verse 2. Jesus will not cry aloud. When he comes to fix things, it's not with fanfare. It's in quiet. It's in tenderness. He's not making a big deal for everyone to see what he's doing. And we have this image of a bruised reed. Do you know what a reed is? A reed is a small blade of basically grass, that long maybe. And if someone were to come and fix things, if someone were to take over a land they would just walk right by it because this is not something that you would pay pay attention to. But this servant, what does he do? He notices the tiny reed. And not only does he notice it, he stoops down to study it. Just as we behold Jesus, he beholds this reed. He sees how it's broken. He sees how it hurts. And this bruising that Isaiah writes about, it's not a bruise like we may understand it normally. Um, you've gotten bruises before. What is a bruise? It's your, the blood vessels are broken. You've got a little dark spot under your skin. You, if you press against it, it hurts. That's not the bruising that Isaiah is talking about. The bruising that Isaiah talks about in this passage is a deep wound. And if you press it any further, it's just going to die What does it mean to be bruised? It means that we are marred by our sin. That it has disfigured us. It means that we have been harmed by the situations that we're in. We've been hurt. We're hurting now. And I think IGC might be this bruised reed. If you keep on pressing it, at some point we're going to break. We're insignificant in the grand scheme of things. And yet Jesus notices this bruised reed. He says, I will not break it. I'm going to stoop down. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to see how it needs to be healed. And I will begin the work of reconstituting it, of fixing it, of making things right. God will look upon IGC And do you believe that he can smile upon us again? 
Do you believe that Jesus knows the hurt of everyone in this room? He knows our anger. He knows our frustration. He knows what our limits are. He's the God of the universe with all the power, unimaginable power. And yet, he looks down upon us and he says, with his tender hands, let me fix that. Let me fix that. There's also the image of a faintly burning wick. The smoldering wick, as another translation puts it. The image that we have is one of a candle that's just about to be snuffed out. Um, You've seen candles before. How do they work? There's a wick placed into wax. You let it on fire, and then you let it do its thing. It It burns for a while. It provides illumination to the people around it. And then... A wind blows upon it. The smoke curls up. And in that wick is a tiny little source of heat. A tiny imperceptible flame. And you need to turn the lights off to really to see that there's even anything there. And the image we have is one of a candle that's about to be snuffed out. If you wait any longer, it's going to be out for good. And IGC, what little do we have left? Look at our church. What little do we have left? Do you have at least a mustard seed of faith? Do you have a little bit of trust in Jesus? Do you have a little bit of love for your church? Do you have a little bit of energy to serve her? Are we a faintly burning wick? God will honor what little that we have. God will do his work in our church. God will do his work in our church. Let me finish off with the verse 4, and then we'll continue on next week. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. There is a completeness to the work that Jesus will do. This is hope for us because Jesus is who he is. He is the servant. We're told in this passage, he will not be discouraged. He will not grow faint even though we are faint. He will carry out his purposes. It will not end. Have you ever begun something? And at first you're excited about it. There's a lot of energy. And then as you do it, you get tired. And as you do it more, you get more and more tired. Until some point you can't carry on any further. Uh, There was uh, a few years ago, I went rock climbing with my sister-in-law, Lauren. And... um, I was, she, she rock climbs with my brother Harry. Um, she's very, uh, really, if you know Lauren, she's uh, very athletic. She could do things that's probably, I bet you she can do more than what anyone else in this room can do physically, athletically. Um, I was doing the top rope climbing. I was climbing the wall, and I'm deathly afraid of heights. And about halfway up, I get tired because I didn't know how to properly climb a wall. I was using the strength in my arms and my back to climb the wall, and you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to use the strength in your legs, and you use your hands to maneuver yourself. Um, But I kept climbing, 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 and what would usually take maybe 
a minute for anyone else to climb. It took me 10 or 15 minutes. And I told Lauren, she was belaying me. She was holding the rope. And I told her, Lauren, I'm, I'm done. I, I can't go any further. And she said, no, you're not done. You're going to finish it. And I said, no, I'm not. And she said, yes, you will. And I hated her in that moment. <laughs> I was so angry because I knew I could not do it. And she said, I'm not letting you down until you climb the wall. So I climbed and climbed. It took me, no exaggeration, half an hour to climb the wall. For the next few days, my arm, my forearms were trembling. I climbed the wall, though. But what did that teach me? There was a limit to what I could do. I understood at that point, there's only so much my body can do. At some point, I'm going to burn out. But this is not Jesus. Jesus says, he will not faint. And what is that for us? It means that as much work as there is to be done at our church, as long as Jesus is at the center, Jesus will make sure that it's accomplished. It will not end. Jesus will not rest until his work is complete. And this is what we can hang on in Delible Grace Church. You're going to see me get burnt out from doing what I do after a while. You're going to see the the elders get tired. You're going to see each other become discouraged sometimes. And that's fine because you're going to see the weakness of man. You're going to see the weakness of woman. And next week I'm going to talk about the necessity of neediness. Why is it a good thing that we're in the state that we are? Because IGC, the state of IGC is not good right now. And that's a good thing because it sets us up to see how good and strong and loving and tender and compassionate and humble Jesus Christ is for us. So may we have our eyes fixed on him in these coming weeks and months and years and decades, until the day we die, until we can see him face to face. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are uh, humbled. We are this bruised reed. We are this faintly smoldering wick, this faintly burning wick that's about to go out, it seems like, but you are not done with us. What you begin, you will complete. And we ask, we beg, We need your hand in this moment to serve our church, to love our church, to sustain our church, God. And may you turn our eyes upon Jesus. You are our one foundation. We pray this in the name of him who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen.